0: Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast, a weekly show serving Canada's entrepreneurship community. I'm your host, Rick Spence, business journalist, editor, public speaker, and entrepreneur. After 15 years as the national entrepreneurship columnist at the National Post, and as the former editor and publisher of Profit, the magazine for Canadian entrepreneurs, I've learned what makes Canadian startups special, scalable, and successful. On this show, we connect you with Canada's most innovative and entrepreneurial leaders and changemakers. You'll meet the people driving the entrepreneurial movement and we'll share their first-person adventures and their tips, hacks, and best advice for running startup and growth companies. The Startup Canada podcast is a production of Startup Canada, the national rallying community for Canada's 3.5 million entrepreneurs. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. To entrepreneurs everywhere, this is your show. Ladies and gentlemen, entrepreneurs from coast to coast to coast, welcome to the Startup Canada podcast. On the show today, we're thrilled to have Jason Sparrow of Vancouver-based BarrelWise Technologies. Jason is CEO of BarrelWise, which has developed the world's First comprehensive system for wine barrel management, which delivers process efficiency, quality control, and high quality barrel by barrel insights to wineries. Jason holds an MBA in innovation and entrepreneurship from the University of British Columbia and a BA in history and economics from the University of Victoria. Recently, Jason was recognized as a changemaker as part of the Change in in Changemaker Initiative in partnership with Startup Canada. Jason, welcome to the show.
1: Well, thanks for having me. It's great to be here.
0: And it's great to have you. Uh, to start off, the tradition around here is that we ask you to share with us sort of one or two of the top insights you think our listeners can take away from this uh, from this show, so they know it's it's worthwhile to listen, to listen to us for the next half hour or so.
1: One of the things that we'll be talking about that that's really helped us out uh, in our entrepreneurial journey is is constantly seeking feedback from. Ah uh, potential users and customers and and we've tried really hard to involve our customers in our design process uh, and it's been really key to to helping getting us traction
0: All right. I'll make sure we talk about that. That's a big one um, let's let's jump right in on barrel wise. Um, I'm not sure that it people who don't understand the wine industry understand what you do the first time around when you explain it. <laughs> so let's go around again and, and talk about it. And, and I, I think just from what little I know about winemaking, when we think of the stage of the uh, product in the, in the wine cask, in the barrel, that's not just storage, that's part of the production process, right? So you're bringing a, a form of automation to that?
1: That's right, yeah. So it's, um, it's the aging process. It's, it's key to, to developing flavor and texture in the wine.
0: Okay, so tell us what the problem is that you're solving there and how you're solving it.
1: Sure. So, so a lot of wine uh, is aged in, in oak barrels, as, as you may know. And, and wineries can often have several hundred or, or even several thousand uh, of barrels aging at, at any given time. And so what what happens is that the wine actually evaporates through the pores of the oak, and so these barrels sitting on the rack in the winery uh, often lose about a liter uh, of wine every month to this evaporation. And so since they evaporate
0: is, right through the wood because the wood is essentially organic and porous.
1: That that's right. Yeah, it's called the it's traditionally called the angel share. The angel share. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And so what happens, you can imagine the shape of the barrel. It's kind of round. So quite, quite a headspace develops when you, when you take a liter out of them. And, and wine is it's not like whiskey or rum. It's, it's low alcohol. And so this, this actually puts it uh, at risk of spoiling. And so, so what the winemakers need to do is typically once a month, uh, they take the barrels down from the racks. They, they open them up. And they draw samples uh, from about 5 to 10% of the barrels. And, and they, they draw samples from this amount for a couple of reasons. It's mostly because it's, it's quite a lot of work to actually get the samples and quite a lot of work to get them analyzed in a lab. Uh, so you kind of have limited visibility there. Um, and then based on what they see uh, from the lab on the, that 5 to 10% of barrels, they'll add sulfites back into the wine to preserve it. And finally, uh, they'll add back the liter of wine that was evaporated and close the barrel and then put it back on the rack. Um, so it's a pretty manual process. It's it's very inefficient, uh, and, and it's, they have it's, to do that um, once a month. Yeah, approximately once a month. It's uh, you know typically we see so, some go as as frequently as two weeks. Uh, some can leave it you know about six weeks, but a month is a good average. Right.
0: And how many months are they generally in there in in, in the barrel, aging?
1: Uh, there's there's a huge range. Uh, some white wines can be in as little as a couple of months, and you you see reds that can age for you know two to three years even. Right.
0: So 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 that is a big chore.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. It's 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 manual. Very very inefficient. Uh, you know, there's a lot of room to uh, make mistakes, and and it leaves winemakers with significant knowledge gaps about what's going on with their aging wine. Right.
0: And I'm thinking that this is a problem that's probably been around for centuries.
1: <laughs> it has, yeah. If if not thousands of years,
0: and so have there been other attempts to fix this in the past? And what makes you different?
1: Yeah, there's there's been uh, there's been uh, lots of attempts to, uh, to to innovate in this space. Uh, you know, for, for a lot of uh, economic reasons, uh, not not many of them have gained traction. Uh, because you you know, if any anything that you're going to do to address this, you need to try to multiply by hundreds or thousands and make it affordable for for the winery. So I'll I'll uh, I'll tell you what what we've come up with, and and that'll that'll explain why it's a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Um, so what what we've done is we've developed uh, the barrel-wise barrel management system to to optimize this process, and there's there's two main parts to this. Uh, so first is um, a specialized barrel cork, uh, and this is. The, the term for a barrel cork is a bung. And so we have a specialized bung that goes into every barrel uh, and allows the winemakers to interact with the wine without actually ever opening the barrel. Uh, and, and what makes us different from other attempts is that these, uh, these bungs are made to be uh, relatively inexpensive so that they can easily go on uh, every barrel. And then the, the second piece to the system uh, is the barrel-wise cart. And this is where, where all the, the smarts are in the system. And so you can imagine a cart, it's wheeled around the winery to service the barrels, and there's a head unit that's attached to the cart with a hose, and so you would you would go to an aisle of barrels, you'd take this head unit, and you would click into each barrel. Uh, and then what's gonna happen is the system will draw a sample, uh, it will run it through sensors on the cart and analyze uh, the wine at the point uh, of the cellar rather than in the lab, and then based on the reading from the sensor, a precision dose of sulfites is added into the wine. So exactly what that individual barrel needs. And then the barrel is topped up and it all happens in one quick motion. Um, so the value to the winery is that it's it's much more efficient than traditional processes. We, we've seen uh, over 50% of the time saved on these tasks. Uh, and it's a much more precise way of doing things. And, and analyzing every single barrel as opposed to that five to 10% gives the winemaker a lot more information uh, with which to make their critical wine-making decisions.
0: Wow, so much to unpack there, that is really interesting. <laughs> um, so before you would test maybe 5%, but if you found that, let's say you've got 100 barrels, you test five, if they all show the same amount of shrinkage and a need for additional preservation agents, they would then have to do Yeah, the same they, they adjustments would... to, every, to all 100 barrels.
1: That's right, and but the 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 thing about oak barrels is they're you know they're often semi handmade and and wood uh, itself is, is organic, and so the, there's huge variability uh, between uh, you know how barrels can interact. You can have you know the same type of oak uh, that's the same age uh, with the exact same wine in it, and you can see different ullage—that's um, the term for the level of evaporation—and different uh, free sulfur levels. Uh, and so a precision approach really, really is valuable to winemakers.
0: So the old way of just assuming and extrapolating from 5% might get you into a little bit of trouble because every barrel is going to be slightly different. Right?
1: That's right. So yeah, your
0: solution, it sounds like, tests each each one individually so it customizes the uh, the, the preservation process for each and every barrel.
1: Yeah, and if there's, if there's something going on with the wine, it's going to get picked up with those readings. So if there's a specific barrel that has maybe uh, too much oxygen uh, or some microbial activity, um, the winemaker's going to be able to pick that up, and they're, they're going to be able to go and taste and, and smell that particular barrel, um, which they might have missed because there's, there's often hundreds of them that they have to sift through. Uh, and so if, if something's going wrong, you can, you can figure that out and do something about it before it, it affects the wine.
0: Right. So, what kind of uh, financial benefit can wineries uh, achieve by adopting your system? D- is it just a, is it just an achievement in efficiency, or do they also save some money?
1: So, on the on the mechanical efficiency side, uh, at one case study uh, at Sandhill Winery in Kelowna, we saw fifty five dollar per year annual economic benefit per barrel, uh, and we're we're still we're still working on quantifying. Ah, uh, the data side. It, uh, you know everything in agriculture takes a little bit of time. Uh, so that that one is is hard to draw direct dollar signs to, but we we think it's actually more significant than the labor.
0: fantastic. And um in terms of the process, now, when I think of winemakers, I think of um, you know, old world craftspeople with this professional pride. I know my wine. I know every barrel. And how does is that just a stereotype that I should forget all about, or is are they really craftspeople there? and if so, how did you um, manage their professionalism in terms of well, I don't need this because I know my wine? Did you run into much of that much of that a reaction?
1: It's a good question so yeah, winemakers really are true craftspeople. it's a, it's a mix of Art and science, and we we learned pretty early on that we're not going to uh, be able to credibly uh, ever tell a winemaker what to do, and so we, we more take the approach of uh, enabling them to, to sort of enact their vision, and so what you know what we do uh, allows them to do what they need to do faster, more precisely, uh, and with more information. Um, and so we we haven't really you know had had too many objections that the, you know this is uh, I, I know all, all of my barrels, and this is useless. And in, in some cases, um, you know for very small wineries, it, it, it is easy to to keep tabs on uh, the amount of barrels that you have. But as soon as it starts to to get into to the level of hundreds, um, you know winemakers would would love to be able to to uh, act with as much precision as they could in a small winery. And so this this sort of technology enables them to to do that.
0: And tell me where you are now. Are you actively selling? Or are you still sort of in uh, customer discovery or testing mode?
1: Yeah, so we're 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 actively selling the first version of of our system. Actually, this week we just uh, we just launched Bearwise in California, um, wow. but there's still um, still some of the sensor pieces that are in are in R and D phase.
0: Okay, so help me understand that. How long have you been uh, selling and? Are you telling everyone, buy now, get the sensors later?
1: <laughs> well, that's right. For, for a certain um, typically you see for wineries with, with over 1,000 barrels, they see quite a, quite a lot of value in the, uh, in the mechanical system that, that we're providing today. Um, and, uh, and the sensor will just be an add-on, essentially.
0: Okay. So how long have you been selling, and what kind of reaction are you getting from your market?
1: Well, it's been fairly recent. We, we've just had our, our first winery go to 100% adoption, and so we've been in trials for, for sort of the last year and a half, um, and, uh, and the reaction has been, been overwhelmingly positive. Uh, it's it's we've got a lot of great winemaking partners in, in Canada and northern Washington and California.
0: You want to name a couple of your spanking new clients?
1: Sure, uh, uh, Sand Hill and Kelowna, uh, Mission Hill, a uh, Bets Family Winery in in Northern Washington, and we're we're currently trialing with uh, a couple of Treasury Wine Estates facilities in, in California, uh, BV and Sterling.
0: I don't know. My feeling there is that California wine country is like like that's the gold standard in North America. So if you crack that, does that mean you can sell anywhere?
1: <laughs> well, we, we certainly hope so. It's a, it's important for us just because of the, the sheer number of wineries that, that are in California. It's a, it, it's the big cluster here in North America. Right.
0: And I guess when you get really good, you can come to Ontario and sell <laughs> in Niagara.
1: <laughs> you know, it's from Vancouver. It's actually easier to get to California than Toronto.
0: Oh, I'm sure it is. And you're, <laughs> and, and you're dealing with them. They're in the same time zone. It's a little bit, little bit more efficient. I get that. But are you looking at going cross-country?
1: Uh, we'll be looking at going going down south uh, sooner. It's 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 uh it, like I said, it's a little bit easier, and there there tends to be um, more wineries of our specific target market in the states. And
0: describe your target market then.
1: Certain it's size, a, yeah, it's a certain size. So we look for we look for over a thousand barrels.
0: Ah, okay, so that makes sense. Tell us about the the, the people story behind this. You've got some multiple founders, and uh, and 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 uh, a couple people with. I guess direct experience in wine or or, or spirits. So, how would you all get together and decide on, that this was the problem you wanted to solve?
1: Yeah, so Verowise actually started uh, uh, as a university class at, at UBC, uh, a class called uh, Tech Entrepreneurship that uh, my co-founders and I took. Uh, I was doing my MBA, and this this is a great class. It takes I business thought you were going students. to
0: say it started after school. <laughs> we <laughs> oh, all, really. We 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 get together and crack a few barrels of wine and. Sorry, <laughs> go ahead. Entrepreneurship class.
1: Yeah, yeah. So it's a it's a great class. They they combine um, tech students. So we had a, a few uh, uh, PhD engineers uh, and and um, business students. And, and the point of the class is to go find a problem that's uh, you know good enough to or significant enough to start a business based on, and, and we had a colleague at the time who uh, had previously worked for uh, a rum company in Venezuela. And, and uh, we learned quite a lot about the barrel aging and it really fascinated us. And so we, we decided to go visit uh, the local people who age in barrels, which is, which is wine in BC. Uh, and, and that's where we first got a look at these processes and decided that uh, we could potentially make a, make a difference here. And so when we graduated, uh, we, we decided to pursue barrelwise full-time, and we, we joined an accelerator program um, called Hatch, which is part of uh, entrepreneurship at UBC. And this, this gave us um, a lot of resources, uh, access to some incredible mentors. It uh, gave us access to office space and a, a fully loaded prototyping workshop uh, and a lot of exposure to local angel investors. And, and we're actually still there. We've been there for a couple of years now. Wow. You were also
0: with uh, the CDL, the Creative Destruction Lab?
1: We Yes, we went through the CDL uh, program.
0: So how long has this uh, project been been going on?
1: Uh, well, we started full-time in, uh, in January 2019. Okay, so that's not bad. That's not
0: bad at all. And tell me just a little bit more about this course. So, it's, So it's an actual credit course at UBC where they bring engineering and business students together and say, figure it out? Figure something yeah,
1: out. exactly it's quite a quite a rigorous course you have to you know you're, you're expected to talk to uh you know as many potential users of your your idea as you can and that's that's uh, one of the ways that here evaluated so it's uh, it's pretty hands-on it sounds a
0: bit like an accelerator program in a university setting
1: uh, yeah exactly a very very condensed accelerator program
0: Right, and how was the? How did your group form? Are you guys put together on the first class? Okay, put your desks in a circle and get working, <laughs> or do you fo- sort of find each other out over the course of the first few weeks? Uh,
1: it, it's a. It was a bit of dumb luck. There was there was one day where everybody got together, and you you know you most people had ideas of what they wanted to do coming in, and you had to try to find like minded people, uh, and so it was a, it was a process of total dumb luck.
0: <laughs> Fantastic! Um, right off the top, you mentioned the importance of customer feedback to you. So you said that you looked at the uh, the problem of 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 aging liquids in barrels. You looked at rum. I guess we're not making a lot of rum in in British Columbia, so naturally you went to see the wine industry, which is much more successful. And how many? How did you approach your your customers? How did you? get to understand what their problems were, and how did you solicit their feedback as you developed the product?
1: Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's quite a lot of work, and in some cases we, we, we phoned them up, in some cases we got introductions, uh, uh, but in a lot of cases we just drove around wine country with, uh, with CAD drawings of what we thought our technology should look like. And we, you know, we would hand these these CAD drawings to winemakers and give them a red pen. Uh, And they would they would comment. They would cross things out. They would say, this will never work or, you know, the forklift is going to hit this here. Um, And so by the time we actually spent any resources on on building anything, we were a lot more confident that it was going to be useful to the industry.
0: So you're driving around the Okanagan and saying, hey, is the winemaker around? We'd like to show them our CAD drawings.
1: Yeah, in some cases. I mean, before COVID, that was often the best way to get a hold of them.
0: That's amazing. And uh, you know, what kind of reactions do you get? I mean, I imagine some of them say, "You know, what the what? What's What's this about?" Um, you know, if if uh, obviously you guys weren't shy.
1: It's it's a pretty friendly industry. Most most people were very willing to help. Um, you know, especially help out university students.
0: As part of the automation process, I presume you're supplying the winemakers with more data than they've ever had before. Tell me about uh, the, the the data changes that you're bringing to the industry and and how that creates value for your customers.
1: Absolutely. So we we started off with uh, with a machine that that really just just made the processes, the mechanical processes, more efficient. But we we soon found out that. Uh, you know, what we have is a smart piece of equipment that's touching every single barrel every month. So, so what can we, you know, what can we start to, to figure out about the actual aging wine itself? Um, and so there's, there's been a few pieces that were a little bit easier to uh, collect. So uh, first of all, just, just all of the metadata uh, around um, identifying which, which barrel uh, the machine is talking to, what, what sort of wine is uh, already in there, and what's, what's its history – um, and then looking at the performance of the barrel itself, uh, one one parameter that we've we've started to measure is ullage, so the amount of evaporation uh, that occurs uh, between barrel servicing. Uh, and we've found so far that there has been a huge variation. and this this has been really interesting um, to look at in in the context of of the cellar itself. We can you know see clearly if if a barrel is located next to a door, uh, that it it's evaporating more, that that barrels on the top stacks uh, tend to have, you know higher evaporation levels, and so over time, what we'd like to be able to do is to recommend to winemakers to, you know, maybe put a put a mister in this area or, or keep the door closed more more often. So so that's one piece. Um, the piece that we're working on right now is is free sulfur, uh, and so this is an important measurement of wine health. And we we've developed uh, in house uh, a new way to measure free sulfur for for wineries, which is is as accurate as the the lab gold standard, the technique called aeration oxidation but actually performs the measurement in under a minute Uh, and so this this will tell you sort of month-to-month If your wine is sort of aging as as expected and it will indicate uh, any potential problems um, such as uh, If there's too much oxygen getting into the barrel uh, or if there's a bacterial issue Uh, and so looking at this variation uh, it's it's very interesting to see how different different barrels perform. Uh, tell the winemaker where to to go to to sort out their problems before they become bigger problems. Um, and what we're doing now is taking this information and putting it on dashboards so winemakers can start to see the trends, um, which has been which has been very fascinating and very uh, very valuable so far to the winemakers. And that's
0: pretty interesting. I mean, you, you know, you're at the you're pioneering um, automation. Uh, in this part of the business, and is is it sort of a collaboration between you and the winemakers to find out what information they value and how you can provide them with it on a regular basis?
1: Uh, absolutely, we uh, you know we we take dashboards that we uh, that we come up with, and and the first thing we do is go go to the winemaker and uh, and talk about what what does this mean to you, and really try to drill down to is this just interesting, or are you actually going to be able <laughs> to do anything with this information? That's a great <laughs> question. Is it just, just interesting? interesting yeah. Or it's, is it valuable? Know, yeah. That's right. Yeah. No. No one will pay for that, right. really. Right. And
0: and what are you finding? Are I mean I know you you know you're you're it's still a brand new area, but are you finding that the 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 wine the wineries are valuing are starting to value this data, and is it something that you think you can make them pay for?
1: Yeah, we we think so. Once they, it's a uh, it's interesting. Before the the ability to get to barrel by barrel resolution, winemakers would think of groups of barrels uh, or lots, as they're known as, um, mm-hmm. as as tanks. You know, so you have a big tank with lots of wine, and they would they would treat the barrels uh, in the exact same way in their systems and and even mentally uh, as they would treat a tank. Um, and so once we once we can break down the barrel by barrel resolution, they we're seeing them start to get a little bit hooked. Getting hooked on the data, yeah, on on the I, I, exactly on 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 finding the the sort of finer points of, of where they what they can do to to in, increase, uh, you know, the the homogeneity of the wine and 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 you know find find issues before they uh, become like I said before like they become big problems.
0: Right. I mean, I I don't want to be mistaken here. I don't want it to sound like I'm being really mercenary on your behalf and saying, let's make them pay for this but the truth is if you can create new value for them a you deserve to be paid and if you get paid then you can continue your quest your journey and create even more value for them so it's 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 a it's 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 a totally positive circle if we can get it going where you can um help them save money learn more be more efficient save time uh, you know It's all good, right? Uh hmm Hopefully, we're we're, we're all good on automation, and it's fun to see, you know, someone at the very beginning of this process in a traditional industry like this. Have you seen any difference between the Canadian wineries that you've been selling to and working with and the American ones? Um, You know, one might, if one were given to stereotypes, one might think that, Americans are a little bit more open to new ideas and a little bit of risk. What have you found?
1: Uh, it, not not so much in terms of risk tolerance. Uh, American wineries tend to be bigger. <laughs> that's that's one thing. Um, you know, other than that, the attitudes are, are really similar. I think the uh, the wine areas are are fairly fairly integrated. The people tend to know each other. Canadian winemakers tend to. to spend time training at, at U S wineries and vice versa. Uh, so I, I, I don't think there's uh, significant attitude differences.
0: That's good to hear. Very, very happy to hear that. Um, you started, or, or you, you, you've been developing the firm and in, in the shadow of the whole COVID thing, we've had a year of it or so now. Um, how has that affected your customers? Certainly the restaurant industry is in trouble. A lot of people, uh, Order wine at social occasions. Um, have they are are, are are have have they been uh, uh, hard hit by COVID, or or has home consumption gone up sufficiently? I, homeschooling <laughs> alone of your kids might be enough to drive up wine consumption. I don't know.
1: It's interesting. As as you hinted at, uh, people are drinking quite a lot of wine. Uh, <laughs> but it, it, different wineries are affected in, in different ways. Um, a lot of small wineries really rely on their tasting rooms and, and things like restaurant sales. Right. Uh, and, and they've been, they've been hit significantly. Uh, the larger wineries tend to have more channels, um, you know, liquor stores and, and so on. Uh, and they've, they haven't been quite as hard hit, um, yeah, so so for us, the biggest the biggest impact of uh, of COVID has really been the ability to travel in the U.S. because uh, we like to, you know, build face to face relationships. Um, we like to be there in person to demonstrate the value of our system, uh, and that's that's been hard. we've We've been able to uh, we've been able to recruit a, a part time person in California, which has been extremely helpful. Uh, and it, but really, uh, it's pushed us to. Um, to to think about remote startups and and really that that requires us to think through every aspect of the user experience because we're what we're doing is we're shipping equipment and and starting it up via video call uh, and so that's you know obviously a, a little bit stressful for the first few times but I, I think it's ultimately pushed us to be better. Interesting. When
0: you say remote startups, you mean uh, the sort of onboarding of a new client?
1: That's that's right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So. Yeah. So before you'd 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 be there to oversee it, and now presumably you're de- you must be developing some very valuable expertise in doing it remotely, which can only enhance your business going forward.
1: Yeah, it's it's uh, it's definitely a more efficient way to do things overall. But that being said, we we do miss the in-person touch.
0: But as long as the the checks arrive on time, you you know that that makes up for it a little bit, right? <laughs>
1: sure.
0: Yeah. Sure, sure, he says. Uh, just, just while we're talking about COVID, I read somewhere that uh, you're partnering, Be- Barrelwise is partnering with UBC on a COVID-19 project. Can you explain what that project is?
1: Um, yeah, we did, a, we did a project last year. It, it was actually with Genome BC. Uh, this was specifically to, to help out with the fight against COVID-19. And so this came about uh, in, in March, uh, March or April of, of 2020. Um, so if, if you remember, there was there was quite a lot of concern back then about PPE availability, uh, particularly for healthcare workers, and uh, particularly around N95 masks. Um, so at the time, very early lockdown, there was, there was a lot of uncertainty around COVID, uh, and a lot of fear that that we in Canada could could enter a similar situation like uh, Spain or Italy at the time with with hospitals being overrun. Um, so our, our CTO Dave um, had this idea that by using um, a moist heat sterilization method that we could reuse uh, N95 masks, possibly multiple times, and this could potentially help to alleviate some of the supply issues. Um, So over the weekend, Dave and and, uh, some of the other tech team put together uh, a prototype for an oven uh, that would hold the masks at a specific temperature and humidity for about 20 minutes, uh, which would sterilize them, and this this was a you know a prototype made of plywood and insulation and hacked together <laughs> over a weekend, and we so we pitched this to to Genome BC and they they agreed to fund it, uh, and we had to we had to make a decision uh, at the time we we halted almost all of our core technical programs uh, to focus on this oven uh, for a period of five weeks, and uh, and you know I I'm still amazed that with with a ton of support from from some UBC faculty. Uh, Rainhouse Manufacturing in Victoria, um, this oven project came together from the plywood prototype to a ready-to-manufacture product uh, in that five-week, extremely tight timeline. Wow. Uh, yeah, so it, uh, it didn't end up really being used, which which is a, a good thing in the long run, uh, because the, the supply of the N95s eventually caught up, but it, it was a good, con- good contingency, and I'm, I'm really glad that we were able to take on the project.
0: And that's really interesting. I mean, you know, anything that can help us do things faster and, 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 and do innovation in new ways, uh, you know, none of that is going to hurt us any. And it actually helps build our skills just in the same way that uh, the energy that we put into the vaccines for COVID are going to help us deal with a lot of other uh, medical issues as well. So that's a really interesting experience to have had.
1: Yeah, it was good, and I, I think it was good for the team mentally as well. Just to, to feel like, in a in a small way, we were able to 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 do something. It's pretty uncertain times.
0: Yeah. Well, congratulations on that. That that, that. that that that's pretty exciting. One of the things I noticed about your company is that you uh, on your website you list a number of advisors to the to the business, and uh, they seem a very very talented and experienced international team. And I'm just wondering if you can tell me a little bit about what the role of advisors is at BarrelWise and uh, how you got these all-stars.
1: Yeah, we, we rely heavily on our advisors. Um, and so how, how it came about, uh, we uh, I mentioned before we've been in the Hatch program at, at UBC. And, and they, uh, they have a lot of in-house mentors known as EIRs or Entrepreneurs in Residence. Right. and so we, we met folks like uh, Tom urban Gabe Kalmar Michelle Walcraft who who each have tremendous expertise in, in building startups uh, in, in sales and marketing uh, and you know we usually we usually have a, a regular meeting cadence uh, with with our advisors and they, they hold us accountable and that's starting to shift now into more of a formal board of directors Um but yeah, like, like I said, we we meet regularly with them. We we listen to them, and they're they're fantastic at providing introductions, uh, and they, they really just push us to be better.
0: So so are, are are your advisors then the the mentors that you that you met through the program and that you've convinced them to sort of stick with you?
1: In in some cases, we've we've since branched uh, outside of the program, um, but uh, but yeah, initially that's that's how it uh, that's how it has been.
0: Right. And you mentioned, do you have like a, a, a formal uh, meeting schedule for your advisors?
1: Yeah, we have a, a typically a formal schedule with with each one. It it, it depends. Like, a, for example, Michelle is our, our sales and marketing advisor. and we, we meet with her weekly. It used to be twice a week uh, at the beginning of the week and then a quick recap at the end of the week.
0: Okay. Well, that's exciting. So so it's not a meeting with a bunch of advisors sitting around a table or on a Zoom call, but it's all one-on-ones?
1: Yes. Yeah, typically.
0: And tell me why that works.
1: Uh, because each each person has a different take on things and a different area of expertise.
0: And so, sorry, because I, I, when I think of a bunch of advisors, I think of people sitting around a table. I'm old-fashioned and and, and, <laughs> and binary, I guess. Um but but the idea is so you're treating this as a real business meeting. Here's we got these th- three issues to to solve, and, and I guess it's most efficient if it's just a couple of you guys and the advisor who's the expert in that
1: area. That that's right. Now, now Hatch does do uh, some of the you know the whole group sitting around the table thing. It's like a, a it's structured as a board meeting. Um, but they, they typically have, you know, uh, a, a large set of EIRs participate and, and really ask you tough questions uh, about every aspect of your business, uh, as well as, you know, do what they can to help provide introductions uh, or advice or, or whatever you're looking for at the time.
0: Right. Now, as the the CEO, um, you know, you're presumably um, involved in a board, but it sounds like you're sort of building out your board of directors uh, to be Sort of more of a public company board, like with an advisory function as well as governance.
1: That's right. So we've uh, we, we've just uh, signed on our first two independent directors, uh, and, and this week I've been frantically preparing for our first formal board meeting, which will take place on Monday.
0: Ah, well, congratulations on that. <laughs> to me, I mean, when you the, the first outside directors are an incredible sign of progress and maturity, um, because they're going to challenge you. Um, they're going to help you. They're going to challenge you in a positive way. And, uh, and, and it's all good. So congrats on you know, exposing yourself to, uh, to what can sometimes be uncomfortable. I've been a director and uh, I was often thanked by the CEO for you know, asking the tough questions. And uh, it it it's it's a really interesting role, and yeah, it takes a lot of confidence in this by this other part of the CEO to say, yeah, I'm going to let these people nail me in front of my peers.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, it's you know, I, I think it's it's you, you need a bit of that because uh, you know I'm I'm new to this, so it's it's good to have experts asking asking the tough questions, and it's I think it's important for the shareholders to have. Ah uh, you know proper representatives and and good governance processes in in the business. and you know as we as we look to to raise larger rounds of financing the the board will just play a more and more important role
0: right. Did any of the advisors make the cut for the board or is it going to be more financially oriented people?
1: Uh, yes, uh, G- Gabe Kalmar started off as an advisor and is now an independent director.
0: Oh good, good. and then you're you are Tell me just a little bit about your fundraising journey so far, and what role financial investors might might play in the company and on the board.
1: Yeah, so we, we've raised uh, two rounds of financing: the first in the uh, uh, summer of twenty nineteen, and a recent one that we just closed in October. Um, predominantly, we've uh, we've had angel investors, so so not much from from institution, although a few small funds. Um, so so there's no direct investor reps uh, on the board. Um, uh, at the moment, but in in the next uh, in in the next round, we will be looking for some institutional money and And we expect that uh, they'll they'll play a more involved role in the governance. Yeah.
0: Sounds like you're doing it right. I've heard some really good discussions and passionate arguments about putting angel investors on the board because they're great people. But often you find, as you go along, that oh, now I have to ask him to leave, ask him or her to leave the board, because we have the opportunity to get some real professionals on board, and <laughs> yeah. So it sounds like you're 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 building that out just the right way. Let me just ask you about. I mentioned earlier in earlier in the introduction that you had been named a change maker in in Changemaker change maker initiative, and I'm just wondering. Do you accept that title? Do you accept the role of change maker, and and what does that mean to you?
1: <laughs> well, uh, you know, we we don't we at Bear don't really think of ourselves as uh, as disruptors, I, I guess, because it, the the wine industry itself has, a, has an incredibly long history. It's it's full of rich traditions. We we try more to be uh, enablers. Um, you know, for example, the winemakers are usually extremely passionate about what they do. They're very meticulous people. Uh, and our goal is, is really just to enable them to carry out their vision. Uh, we allow them to do their work more efficiently, more precisely, and, and more information uh, through our enabling technology.
0: Okay, tell me, as we wind to a close here, um, what does the future look like for BarrelWise? Do you have a plan that says you become a multi-billion dollar corporation with headquarters in uh, in Liechtenstein or what?
1: <laughs> I don't know about Liechtenstein uh, but we've we've recently uh just launched our system in California uh and so we're excited to we're excited to to spend some time down there. Uh there's uh, a trade show that's uh, in the near future the Unified Wine and Grape Symposium which we're we're pretty excited to participate in and hopefully meet some great winemakers. Um Sorry,
0: what's what what's it called? Unified Grape Symposium? The Unified Wine and Grape Symposium. Oh, I see. Okay. Uh,
1: yeah, that's so it's it's going to be a remote trade show, but we've got we've got our virtual booth all set up, and we'll have plenty of live demos going on. So it's it's going to be a lot of fun, and uh, and hopefully we'll meet some great folks in California.
0: Right, and are you going to be happy with a business that's uh, dominating California and British Columbia, or do you have plans beyond that?
1: No, we we have we have ambitious ambitions to take this worldwide. Uh, there's there's a ton of wineries in australia uh, south africa and and of course europe is the biggest biggest wine producing region in the world
0: right and they don't and as far as you know none of them have a solution such as barrelwise is providing
1: uh none exactly like like barrelwise there's there's a few similar concepts but uh, not, nothing quite like uh what we're doing
0: right and do you think um are you attracting some attention? Do you expect that you you could get some copycats entering the market? And what if so, what'll that do to your your planning pace?
1: <laughs> we'll probably accelerate it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I should say so. Have you seen any copycats or any signs of them out there?
1: Uh, no signs of direct copycats. Uh, there there's similar there's competing concepts. Uh, like for example, uh, the smart bung, which puts sensors directly in each barrel. Uh, so there's there's some similar concepts that are looking to get the same sort of winery data, um, but no no direct copycats yet. we We do have uh, some some patent protection in place. Um, but we think ultimately our our biggest moat will be the data collection because uh, that's that's typical to replicate. Yeah. well,
0: it sounds like you've uh, figured it all out. So congratulations on uh, on all that work you've done. Um, you know it's been really interesting to talk to you about bringing automation to an industry that's generally sort of resisted it i mean oak barrels for pity's sake that's amazing (laughs) (laughs) um and and the the work you've done in terms of working with customers getting customer feedback collaborating with them in building out what you're doing and i really appreciated learning a little bit more about your use of advisors and how important they've been to the organization just before we go our last question. What's the most actionable piece of advice that you'd like to offer our listening audience who are all entrepreneurs that they can take away from this conversation and put into
1: work, put into,
0: put into effect at their businesses immediately?
1: Well, get, get your customers involved in the design process and, and really go out of your way as much as you can to, to really delight your early adopters. That's the, that's the best advice I can offer.
0: How did you delight your early adopters?
1: Well, uh, I, I suppose there's, there's one one instance where, where we left behind um, some technology at uh, at a winery uh, fairly early on, and and there was there was a minor problem with it, nothing, nothing serious. But uh, the winemaker sent us a picture, and you know, we got in a car and we drove right down there that that afternoon, and there was nothing really much to be done. But I, I think it gave them the confidence that we're we're going to be. The company that uh, delivers great support and, and to this day they you know they talk about us to everyone and, and i think that's how you build a reputation
0: fantastic delight your early adopters love it we've been talking with jason sparrow the ceo of Barrelwise technologies in vancouver the website is barrelwise.ca if you want to find out what the system looks like and get a little bit more information on what they do jason thank you so much for sharing your journey with us it's very uh interesting stuff and now i'm feeling a little bit thirsty um but i promise you we will keep in touch with you and we'll talk again thanks for having me Thank you for joining us this week in the Startup Canada podcast, a weekly show dedicated to unlocking the potential of every entrepreneur. Stay tuned another minute to hear the latest startup community news and the upcoming events lineup, including our hashtag Startup Chats on Twitter every Wednesday and Friday at 12 noon Eastern time. I sometimes show up there too. Until next week, I'm your Startup Canada podcast host, Rick Spence.